file not found said it's not burning down it's just still burning toss it on the pile and continue forward Mm -hmm. that's that's a very good thing it it does feel like an all-in-one kind of thing right like a lot all at one day right like everything everywhere all at once yeah but let's be realistic this has been going on for like two months probably yeah some of the stuff some of the stuff happy happy octa day yeah i guess yeah. hey everybody <laughs> due to this new panic fear uncertainty and doubt um our budgets and security have been increased for the next six months Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of Black Hills Information Security talking about news, or as we like to say in our company, totally not ambulance chasing. Uh, At least we're trying not to. Uh, Today, I am joined by an illustrious crew. As always, Ryan the Shootist makes us look and sound better than we deserve to. Ralph is on, as always, and then Mick Douglas. We've talked about Mick. You're at a con. You're going to see Mick and I together. Mick is my brother from another mother. He is the guy I go to for advice when it comes to computer security, Windows security, just kind of fact-checking things. And anytime I need some really cool tunes, he's the guy I turn to always. So thank you very much uh, for joining, Mick. I appreciate it. And Ralph, as always, I know that there's other work you could be doing. I appreciate you coming on as well. And one of the things uh, I wanted to kind of start with And then I want to open it up to people asking us questions. So I want this to be the vortex of free consulting, okay? Because usually whenever there is an ambulance chasing webcast, it's going to be someone sitting down and, you know, talking to you about stuff. And I want to do that, of course, but I would also really like to get it, get the questions from you all directly. So kind of queue up those questions. Um, I want to set the stage a little bit. We've got the Wired article, I think is a pretty good one where we're talking about lapsus, 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 uh, lapsus however we pronounce it. Um, it's French, been, right? Yeah, Brazilian. You know, yeah, the Brazilians yeah. are not going to be happy with yeah. that because they speak Brazilian, right? In Brazil, is that? No, by the way, guys, I'm joking. It's like whenever I say Canada takes being a country way too seriously for being 51st <laughs> state. We're just kidding. Please don't come at us, because frankly, you terrify us as a whole. But Ralph, do you want to talk a little bit? Like These guys have been on a little bit of a tear between Microsoft and Mick, as you as well. This group is definitely on the scene. So what do you guys know about it, and what are your thoughts on this so far? I mean, I, I guess I'll go first. It was blowing up, uh, honestly, last night. Uh, they pretty much dropped a bunch of different you know, uh, things that they had done on their Telegram, a Telegram group. And then that kind of exploded onto a much more public scene, right? So um, Okta was kind of the first, and then also the 37 gigabytes of Microsoft's alleged source code also got exposed. So it's companies like Maersk, the world's largest shipping firm. And oh, and Maersk. We got a little audio going on Maersk. We got Maersk. There's a video. Cadbury. They got Cadbury too. (laughs) We're, we're, We're literally going to play the video and we're going to live discuss it with you where's that video (laughs) so 
All right. So, so, but a lot of people getting caught up. It's it's bigger than it, it's bigger than just that. It, it's because Okta also Cloudflare getting caught up in a lot of like um, just uncertainty about who may have been exposed with this. You know how far the rabbit hole goes, and you know um, who who got caught in the crossfire. Fire. Excuse me. Cool. Uh, Mick, your thought on this group? Yeah. Uh, what do you what do you want from me? Like a little intro or yeah, like- whatever. A little intro, little okay. dance, whatever. What are your take? What do you think of this group? Because I want to ask you a specific question. Somebody said one of two things is happening: either A, this group is really freaking good, or B, holy crap, security is that bad in a whole bunch of different companies. And I want to get your take on this. So hands down, it's bad. Okay, and here's the deal, right? If you go online to any cloud provider and you say, hey, I want to deploy whatever, you know, AWS, GCP, you know, Azure, they have these model templates. Guess what? Most people are building off of these model templates. And one of the things that's really appalling is I don't un- like, okay, I run a small consultant uh, consultancy. I am not an illustrious pen tester like BHIS is. We do a little bit of pen testing because to do good defense, you have to have sharp claws and teeth. We're finding in a lot of the cloud pen tests or the cloud engagements that we're doing, like cloud assessments, for instance, that it's just Groundhog Day over and over again. And so you see these design patterns. And once you understand what you're looking for, it's almost like you've got cheat codes. And mm-hmm. I'm ex- Expecting John to pull on a thread. I'm going to give you an easy, easy assist here, John. Isn't this an awful lot like the Target and TJX breaches that happened not too long ago? It is. And I think that there's like, as far as like, especially the panic and the reaction and everybody's trying to figure out what they can do. And this, this gets into some of the things I've been having an issue with CISA. Whenever we get focused on a specific like TTP and there was somebody like uh, Bushido or Dishido, there was somebody on Twitter, I've got it up in one of my myriad of tabs that was talking about, you're not seeing a lot of people talking about the TTPs associated with uh, lapses. And, you know, whenever you saw the, um, whenever you saw the attacks at like Equifax or those things, everyone wanted to talk about, this is what the attackers did. This is how they got in, you know, supply chain compromise and attack against Apache struts. And then if everybody completely freaked out about that specific attack path and methodology. I just realized that Mick totally set me up. <laughs> but the point that I'm trying to get is, whenever we're looking at what's coming out of CISA, they're saying, here's the top 176 vulnerabilities that you should be patching for. That is incorrect. We should not be doing that. Whenever we look at Equifax and they say it's Apache struts, that is incorrect. We should not be looking at just that. Whenever we're looking at spear phishing or possibly with uh, lapses, where there's a belief that they're actually purchasing access, what I'm going to get to here in just a second, we shouldn't be focusing on just that. And that is ultimately what is actually happening here. Everyone is trying to figure out how this attack happened. And then the knee-jerk reaction is, well, we need to get rid of our two-factor authentication. We need to get get rid of our single sign-on. Oh my God, all of our eggs in one basket. We need to stop doing this. We need to fire Okta as quickly as possible and go with somebody else. You're learning the wrong damn lessons. And that is one of my big concerns about what's happening here. And I want to talk about the lessons that we are actually, we should be learning here from this in just a couple of minutes. But Mick, that I, I didn't want to rant too much. 
Roy's like, don't say kill chain, don't say kill chain, don't say kill chain. <laughs> but that's what happens, right? Everyone wants to get into these things of how do we actually defend against this specific type of attack? Because ultimately, right. at the end of the day, we're still monkeys in trees throwing poop at each other, and we don't understand risk very well. All right, Mick, did I hit everything? I tried to pull it back a hair, but I know there's other things you want to talk about, too. Well, I, you know, I... So I, I will say this. One thing that is giving me a little bit of hope is that we are getting better at some of the uh, thought patterns. You know, I don't think enough credit has been given to Miter's defend mm -hmm. system. If you folks don't know what that is, defend is amazing. So you've got to check that out. The folks at Miter that put that together are very hungry for feedback and input. And the cool thing about that is that we're now starting to think about defensive posture in a much more interesting way. The one mistake that I really hope that we avoid from this, that every single breach gets boiled down to this incredibly terse soundbite, and it's always wrong. Oh, um, you know, Target got hit because the HVAC company. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, TJX got hit because of this. This company got hit by that. And at some point, we're going to have the, here's exactly what happened to poor Okta. And we don't know exactly yet how how things got put in, but um, I got to tell you, I'm really worried because we're having these incredibly important conversations, and for whatever reason, InfoSec is vomiting on itself to say the most inarticulate and terse soundbite that's just wrong. Like it, it's straight up wrong. It's that, that uh, old cliche of for every complex problem, there's a simple and clear explanation that's wrong. And that's what I'm most worried about here. And right now, uh, you know, pitching it straight back to you, John, was your comment that a lot of the orgs are going to be doing knee-jerk responses. I expect that we're going to have greater outages and issues from people who are ripping and tearing out authentication and authorization components that are perfectly fine and don't need to be adjusted. Well, okay, let's, let's take a couple of seconds, let's take a beat, and let's give some people some defenses. So I'm going to share out some links. Um, so Sigma has a bunch of Okta rules uh, for watching mm -hmm. the logs on Okta. So I just shared that with Ryan internally. He's going to share that up with everybody here in just a second. And we can talk about this. Now, the thing that sucks about what we're about to tell you is this is becoming like motherhood and apple pie land. Like this is the basics and fundamentals. Are you actually logging from your third-party SaaS providers, especially if they're completely locked and entrenched inside of the core authentication in your organization? And, and you're not. And the, huh, what's that? And you're, you're not. Most organizations aren't. Right. Yeah. And you know why? It comes down to money. <laughs> well, yes. And we're already we already have data lakes, right? And people are talking about data oceans. And this gets into another one of my rants, where if you go to somebody and say you need to be logging from Okta, and you're talking about admin role assigned, API token created, revoked, application modified, these are motherhood and apple pie like things that you should be doing for APIs, especially SaaS authentication-based ones. And I have companies that are like, oh, no, we don't, we don't really want to do that because it's just more logs and we're already logging too much. And they're not thinking about what they're logging, what the value of their logs are. And Mick, this is something you've been teaching 
I think since I first met you, log the right things and try to do the analysis on the right things and don't ignore the right things because you're already logging too much, right? Right. Well, so I met John back when I worked at a library. Like, honest to goodness, I was a card-carrying member of the American Library Association. So when I say that we worked at an org that had no money, we literally had none. And one of the things that we had to play games with from logging was not just what we would log, but our retention. And I want to be clear, I'm not advocating that you thin or call logs that are required for, um, you know, like compliance reasons. Keep those, right? But for the logs that aren't worth anything anymore like throw them out a lot of logs each like milk and so that Mm -hmm. allows you to cast a wider net and gather a lot of logs but maybe you keep them for a week or three days and then just roll them off because you don't care about them keep the stuff you care about and that that's where um like we're seeing a lot of problems in the cloud is that these third-party vendors like Okta or even just the cloud providers themselves, they actually have a strong perverse incentive to have really poor default logs because any resources they dedicate to logging is less compute, less IO for another client that's paying money. So it's you don't ever want to listen to them on what you should be logging at all. Yeah, absolutely. The other article I just posted, uh, Ryan, in the private chat is another set of rules from Elastic. So we have two sets of rules. They're different. They're both in GitHub. One is from Sigma, and the other one is Elastic rules for Elastic Detail. Um, So we've got both of those shared with everybody. And this gets into, if you haven't done these before, one of the things you might want to do is actually go back and look at your previous logs. Because... One of the concerns that's been on the internet quite a bit is it looks like they did this compromise all the way back in January, and there's a number of people that are wondering if the attacks that we've seen are actually symptoms of this original attack. So you can go back and start doing some analysis on it. I don't know how I feel about doing that ex post facto like incident response where we're chasing, what is it? I think Mauer Jake said it was snipe hunting. Mm-hmm where the executives are saying, oh my God, are we compromised by this? I disagree with that, but at the exact same time, it's absolutely going to be something that organizations are going to do. And with the Sigma rules especially, you can convert those Sigma rules into your own SIM that you're using, and you can do analysis on previous data inside of your SIM. So I'd recommend that you do that so that you can at least prove to your executives that you're doing something and help them and you sleep better at night. Just a so fine, just a fine point though on the Sigma. So I am a huge and open and uh, rabid fan of the Sigma project. The tool that you will want to use to accomplish that is part of Sigma called Sigma C, the Sigma Converter. Be a little careful as you're using those. If this is your first rodeo using Sigma C, you'll want to make sure that you test the query because sometimes it, it oh, um, you, you'll wind up with a query that works but it's very inefficient and you'll like make your SIM just spin for a while. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good idea. And you might want to just roll them out one at a time Yeah, because many of them stack and they're looking at the exact same things and it becomes a cascading Mm -hmm. effect. Yep. Um, yep. So I think that that's a really good idea. 
so there's been some hot takes, and uh, Mick, I wanted to get your hot takes on some of these. One of them is from Dade, 0xDADE. I've done some things with him at DEF CON, um, whose slide is it anyway, and things like that. And one of his takes was, proof of compromise of a single user does not indicate, nor does it imply proof of compromise for all users. Yeah. And he says, and since maybe we need another reminder, even MFA is not a silver bullet. If your compromised user workstation, I'm remotely screenshotting their workstation as it appears, I can tunnel traffic through that. I want to get your reaction on that. The, the idea that proof of compromise of a single user, like the screenshot, is not necessarily a proof of compromise of all of the customers. Because I can see that one going a number of different ways. And I, I, well, it, I, I mean, I, I can't violate NDAs, but I mean, that, that is one of those things where, hell yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, here's the deal. We know, based off of these screenshots, that there was some level of access into some restricted portal of some sort. But just because somebody has one session doesn't mean that they were able to start stamping off additional sessions, right? Like, I, I don't, you know, th there's another thing I want to un unpack in that one is the whole critique of MFA. I, I am an okay pen tester. I'm better than average, but I am not, clearly, I'm not the best, right? I have never once been stopped by MFA. It slowed me down. It's made mm -hmm. me have to be really noisy, but like, BHIS, you, you folks do pen tests all day, every day. Like, have you ever been stopped by MFA? So, okay. So, it, okay. So this gets into another rant, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In small organizations, as you know, if you're, if you're trying to break into an organization that has like 15 users, they're all using MFA. That really messes That's us up tough. because most of the attacks that we do are scale attacks. Like if we do a password spraying attack, even with MFA in play, um, we can still determine valid passwords in some situations with some APIs and some portals. Um, we did this years ago with CredSniper. I think you remember that, mm -hmm. uh, where we did it with CredSniper, and we demonstrated bypassing authentication with Duo going through you know, Exchange Web Access instead of going through the actual portal. Duo lit up like a Christmas tree. I had one of their people call me up and yell at me. But, but the point is, yes, two-factor absolutely slows attackers down. It absolutely does, but we shouldn't be looking at it as a silver bullet. So with that, um, <laughs> getting into yet another, another thing that makes me very angry, and I'm, I'm going to call this out, and I keep calling this out, and Ryan will share this out with everybody. I'm going back to PCI, and I have gotten in arguments with people that are very prominent in the industry, folks, that say, you know, PCI seven-character passwords are okay. It says, you know, P according to PCI DSS, employees must have at least a seven-character password that contain a mix of numbers and letters. While these requirements can protect your company accounts, they're not the they're the only bare minimum. PCI. And if you dig and you talk to people about why in the hell PCI is moving towards a seven-character password, and there's conversations being brought up in NIST and things like that, what I'm hearing from these groups is they're okay with reducing password complexity requirements because 2FA is a thing, or multi-factor is a thing. And that is horrible. And, yeah. you know, I've been complaining about this for years. It's one of those things where I'm on a soapbox screaming at everybody like the uh, Far Side cartoon. Everyone's vampires, or there's vampires everywhere, and no one cares. 
But the reason why people are going through and saying that we can do lower count for password length is because, well, we've got MFA, we can start reducing our password complexity. That is wrong. And I think today it kind of highlights how wrong that actually is. Because um, this gets into one of the other things that um, Dave talked about. He actually discussed, he says, MFA should not be your only protection. And whenever you're saying we can reduce our password complexity down to seven characters because we have MFA, you're missing the damn point. MFA is another security layer on top. It doesn't mean that we replace other security layers. So please do me a favor. Go on Twitter right now and call out our friends at PCI DSS and <laughs> beg them to raise their password complexity uh, uh, to be more. Than they seven. can't do it. They're all drinking right now with all this PCI. Everyone's yeah. drinking. I haven't said <laughs> threat intelligence yet. All right. So that was that take. The other take is I'm, I'm going to throw us all under the budge, uh, uh, under the uh, bus here. We are old. I've had some people call me up and they're like, John, how come you're not freaking out over this? I'm not freaking out over this because this has happened. If for those of you that are relatively new back in 2011, RSA was compromised and every seed file .asc.xml file was compromised for RSA's two-factor authentication by the Chinese. Every last one of them. The world did not end. Okay. This may be at that level, right? So we've seen this. We've seen Microsoft source code be le leaked and released in the past. We have. <laughs> and the world did not end. I wish it when it got released, they like fixed some stuff too. Like, you know, oh, you know what? <laughs> at some point I want to see Microsoft, like if it, everything gets released, they're like, screw it. It's all screw open. It. You guys fix it. <laughs> uh, you guys fix it. Can we here? Can you guys submit pull requests? Yes, exactly. Um, and we can fix this stuff. Yeah. So that's one of my takes is I, I, I don't know if I don't care because I'm turning into Bruce Schneier where, you know, he relates everything to the way it was 15, 20 years ago. And I don't know if that's why I'm not saying I don't care, but I'm not freaking out. And like you mentioned, Mick, there's a bunch of people on Twitter that are losing their freaking minds over this. And I'm like, I can tell you're new to the industry. First, <laughs> welcome. Here's your scary breach. So what are you guys' take on this? Should we be freaking out about this more? I, I, I actually think we should. I'm not going to. Um, and part of the reason why is um, I'm open sourced, not by my choice, right? Like my wife used to be a parole officer. And as a result, we were in the Office of Personnel Management breach. So, hey, you know, like yeah. <laughs> there's nothing about me that's not out there, right? So personally, I don't have anything to fear anymore, you know, in a very pathological way. But <laughs> I do think that I worry, I do worry a bit about how reliant we're becoming on these tools. And I do worry that I'm, I'm, I'm actually more concerned about the attacks that we don't know. Right. Like mm. the the one that I thought you were going to go with was how um, years ago, uh, Project Aurora, how the Chinese government stole uh, code from a lot of U.S. companies, including Google, mm -hmm. and they got the Google authentication algorithm at the time. Gia, and, Gia was the name of it. Yep. Gia, oh, you're right. You're right. I'm so sorry. I, I no, no, you're but, right. It was Aurora. Yeah. But the source code for Google single sign on authentication was called Gia. Yep. Yep. So they actually had that. So you're right. So, Thank you. And um, so, you know, I'm more worried about 
increasingly we're having organizations that right or wrong, they have a profit motive and they're trying to be first out to market. So, and that's great, right? Like I am a capitalist, but I do worry that we're increasingly putting these orgs in a position where they're incented to put buggy code out and the implications are that threat actors can leverage them in some very unsavory ways. And so I, I, you know, I am concerned about it, but I'm actually more concerned increasingly that we as security professionals aren't doing a good enough job of explaining to our orgs what the actual risks are because like they, they don't care about like, Oh, you've got this patch level. They do care a great deal about, hey, we're going to have regulators sitting right next to us, and every single day we're going to be making a design choice. They're going to be going, mm-hmm, or yeah. mm-hmm. And that oh. is incredibly disruptive to an org. I, I agree. Um, there's some people that were asking, well, what, what breaches actually scared us? Mm. The RSA one was scary. The OPM hack was scary. Um, cause I had my SF 86 completely. China never released that data though. I don't they think it was ever exposed. Right. So like, they, even though yeah. China has all the information just for context, I don't think it was ever like publicly distributed, right? They no, kept it was that. not, it yeah. was not. And I've heard some people talk out their butts and be like, well, I've got it. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> so the OPM hack was bad, but I think the vulnerability that scared me the most, um, even more than log 4 J was Kaminsky's DNS. Oh. Because that was fundamental, right? That was at the protocol level. That was the way everything worked except for DJ DNS. And it wasn't just like Microsoft. It was literally the entire internet was on fire. And Mick, I think he shared it with a bunch of instructors. Mm -hmm. I think you were one of them before Mm -hmm. he actually went public. No, no, no. I got it. I got it like right as it was being announced. And I was like, (gasps) and he said, no, 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 we're cool. We're cool. And I was like, but we're not. And he goes, no. Cool. <laughs> so wading through logs was like wanna cry was fun. Absolutely. Yep. When the Kaminsky stuff was showed to a, a number of people and it got spread around a little bit, it was like, oh my God, the entire internet is freaking broken. Yep. We Literally. haven't had anything quite like that. Even Solar Winds wasn't at that level. Mick, which one do you think the, was at like that the- level? The one that terrified me, and this is how old I am, was Moxie Marlin Spikes, one where he oh. cut the wild card for star.com. So that was like oh. 2008 or so. It was, was right, it was the year was before right he did SSL, SSL strip. strip. No, yeah. it was before. It was before that. It was before. Because okay. it was a vulnerability in how you could confuse the parsers. Um, I think it was an EBSIDIC to ASCII confusion. It was, and you could put in a space, and it would ignore everything after that space. Yeah, and he could cut. And, yeah. Like he he cut. Like he, I I hope and pray I'm never tempted like that because, like, at a damn minimum, I am going to have some epic pranks. And what was interesting <laughs> is when he released that, there were people that were saying, "Well, that's not that. That's not that's not that epic of a hack." At, and we're like, at, um, "Oh no." At DEF CON, there was a very bright cleaving line between the people who were having a complete like meltdown, and then the people were like, hmm, that seems like this is bad. And yeah. like, because it was so scary and terrifying, to his credit, Moxie did the embargo thing, and everybody uh, did it really cleanly. And Until it, got it was fixed. fixed. Yeah. yeah. So that's why you know we're kind of looking at some of this stuff, and it's like, 
All right. So you put it in perspective, and we've been on fire many, 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 many times. Now, I want to talk about the TTPs mm. for this group. One of the people out there is, what is it? Will Bushido Token. Um, I'm going to share this with the group because I think that this is an important hot take. So Ryan, if we could get that up there. He said, vendors can't detect lapsus because nobody is putting out a report on their TTPs because none of their products can detect it. Mm-hmm. Lapsus relies on stolen cookies from markets like Genesis and Malicious Insiders. AV, EDR, firewall vendors won't help. Don't start on about IOCs. Now, a couple of quick things about this that we have to get out there. One, we've been saying for a long time, a number of us graybeards and infosec luminaries that are out there, the browser is the new endpoint. Um, that is where this is going. Authentication is the new endpoint, right? And I think that you're seeing that kind of cracked open and buying that access in open market spaces, I think, is a key thing. The one thing I disagree with Bushido Token on is the fact that we can't create IOCs. I believe we can. Uh, so I, I see that Ralph is back. Ralph, your thoughts on some of these attacks? I, I think it's possible to have IOCs to detect these types of attacks. I truly believe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. It's it is a little difficult to create these kind of detections in like the scheme of the scale, right? Um, and we're also relying on um, these uh, the vendors, right? So Okta in this example to you know to create these kind of things. But I think that it's definitely possible to start implementing them in our you know in our detection path, right? But we are going to be relying on um, somewhat of the vendors and, and pieces of that to bring it together uh, to create that. But you're absolutely right browser is the new kind of endpoint and this i think is the first and again we don't have all the details but this is kind of the first bigger like you know cloud server you know as a service attack that is starting to spread other services that happen to use that service right um yeah. so kind of interesting i want to address a question uh caprico one said wouldn't you just have to have a detection on old stale session tokens yeah no so whenever you log into a web service um, and you're given a session identifier, it can be set for when that session identifier expires. And so many of the services that you deal with today, I'm just going to use Netflix as an example, they almost never expire their tokens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once you get that session identifier, it's assuming that you're already authenticated. And every time you open up your browser, it resends that cookie or that session identifier again. And it's it's almost like a forever cookie for many yeah, websites. You can- you you can get, can continue to renew that session as well, so that mm-hmm. you can keep getting a session that you know has a new expiration date, right? Um, using the current one that you have, which again brings up to your point, kind of like this forever session. Um, and there are ways to just continue to renew a session to keep it alive, um, so that you can keep to use that, you know, like you said, forever. Now and, there and is more, a neat oh, twist. There, there is a neat twist that you can do here, and for some of my more risk adverse clients, what I advise them to do is if that session token, that cookie value, becomes presented from a different ASN, not an IP address, but at the ASN level, you can bump that session into the something a little weird is going on here, and we're going to audit it a little bit more. Maybe not force a uh, redo, like a force a re-login, but something. You you can uh, start inspecting them a bit. I would say for some services, like if you're looking at like an admin panel or something like that. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. If you've got duplicate logons, you need to, you need to expire those sessions right away. Yeah. And somebody had mentioned UEBA or Jonathan King said impossible travel. 
I think that that's a great example of one of the IOCs. So what we're seeing is right now in the industry, pen testing is getting hard to get onto the desktop. You're seeing a tremendous number of pen testers moving into the cloud and the way that we try to gain access, getting user IDs, passwords, two-factor authentication bypass. That's where we're focusing and we're migrating more and more from an offensive perspective to the browser. So if your IOCs are all built around the desktop, and most organizations are, that makes it incredibly difficult to be able to detect some of these advanced attackers. It's not impossible, but it is something that you you need to start thinking about as you move forward. We we kind of in, intrinsically trust uh, HMACs and JWTs and stuff, and so you know having some kind of um, you know way to kind of always keep asking, right, and and make those associations about where you're coming from, um, you know, and other ways to identify because you know cryptographically we're like this is secure, right? It must be a good cookie, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't taken, right, or that you know it didn't come from somewhere else or wasn't, or, you know, in essence, you know, another copy of that, and right, and so. Um, and that that uh, association, we need to start drawing, right? We need to start looking about where where it's coming from and and uh, where it originated and all the other stuff. And they have some of that, and we are starting to do that. But yeah, it's it's kind of a new world in there. And I think the bigger piece is not just the authentication that we have. I think it's what we can also do way further because these services are so big. All the other things now we have, you know, access to with this one uh, token, and and you know, that's yep. I think what we're seeing, especially with Okta. So the other thing I want to talk about is it's been thrown around that Okta done screwed up. I mean, do we know that yet? So, yeah, so let's, yeah. let's, and, and I think there was an I infosec yes. luminary. There was an infosec luminary that said, "I don't blame Okta for getting compromised. That can happen to anybody." But I, I think Mick, if you can correct me, he said something to the effect of, "I blame Okta for taking so long to let people know." Um, do yep. you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was either that tweet or the fact that I said it's not ambulance chasing if you're out in front of the ambulance that got me on this webcast. Um, yeah, I, you know, here's the deal. I think at this point, every org has some kind of experience. Every or, Let me back up. Every person, every org has some sort of experience with a network incursion, right? And as long as you play cards face up and say, hey, my bad, here's what happened, here's what we know, Here's the impact to you, and you come out in front of it and say that. That's awesome. That's great. Two months though, that mm -mm, that doesn't that's feel weird. right. And and here's the thing that really like it doesn't pass the sniff test for me is a lot of people have countered or it, like they sent me DMs and they said, oh well, it could be an ongoing investigation. Lawyers won't let you talk about an ongoing investigation. You know what? There's a time and a place where you say. Thank you for your advice, lawyer. Cool. Sit this one out. I got to do a PR thing right now. And sometimes you have to just get out in front and say, hey, we had an incursion. Here's what happened. And yep. then own it. Like have a radical transparency about it and say, here's what we know right now. Here's what we're going to learn. But instead, they covered it up. And I'll tell you this. Somebody sent a reply to this, and I think it's one of the spiciest tweets, like most <laughs> underrated spicy tweet of all time. They said, I really want to know what executives sold their stock between the incursion oh, date yeah. and the announcement oh, date. Ooh, I didn't, that's oh. going to be spicy. Another spicy take was uh, Capricorn One said, at least it's not the intern this time. <laughs> oh, um, oh, which I think God. is pretty good. But, you know, it's don't funny because it's true. Yeah. So I've got another one I want to talk about. Okta, I don't know if you all remember, back uh, August 31st of 2021, they mm -hmm. put out a, they put out a, uh, 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 like little survey. 
They said, what percentage of customers will cut ties with a company if it suffers a data breach? And 38% was the big winner. It was, all, it was pretty even. It was 15, 38, 62, 80. But the thing I think is interesting about that is that came back to bite Okta in the ass, right? Okta was trying to use that as marketing. It's like, well, if you get hacked, people won't do business with you, right? And I'm sure that that made that in their marketing propaganda. And I wonder sometimes if that's coming back to bite. Because if you look at Cloudflare, Cloudflare, I think it was the CEO said point blank, you know, we're looking at possibly replacing Okta in our environment. That's, that's, that's hot. That's really hard on them. Like that, you don't usually see CEOs of companies like going out and like smoking one of their business partners publicly. And that gets back to Mick's point. Do they know something that we don't? If they're already talking publicly about replacing Okta, that's a, Cloudflare is a big company. There's a very strong possibility that they might know more about what's going on than we do. Well, the cynic in me says, though, is Cloudflare up for their license renewal? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that would be some extra awesome negotiation power at that point. Oh, oh, well, let's talk about that. Uh, giving people history. Uh, there are people like, this is the end of Okta. No, it's not. It's not. Um, it's not. <laughs> RSA, like I said, RSA, one of their core businesses was two-factor authentication. They got popped and there's, they're still in business. In fact, mm-hmm. it was so bad with RSA that RSA flat out told their customers that were non-DOD that they were not going to give them a refund or recut their .asc um, or .xml files. So, yeah. so if you think this is going to end Okta, Totally Can not you name any one of these big uh, like breaches where they just shut down. They were like, "All right, that's it. We're done. We're that was it." That was, uh, uh, wasn't there an attack in the Netherlands? Um, Digi Notar didn't they go out of business because of their root uh, certificates were compromised? Yeah, that's I think, yeah, and their but... main customer was a DoD in 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 Scandinavia. I can't remember which, but Digi Notar was smoked, mm. um, and I think they went out of business. For well, I mean, yeah, it's but, like, I, I just think of all the ones. Target, you're not shopping there, right? Nobody shops there anymore. Uh, the OPM, I decided to stop using that because I really had a choice by the first place. Um, <laughs> we could just go down the list, right? Uh, like, just think of every solar winds. Do you think, I mean, the government just probably still buying solar winds? I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah whatever. Well, in 2015, Harvard Business Review did a study on it for publicly traded companies, the ultra majority of them, six to nine months after a breach, their stock is actually trading up. Now, for some orgs, this is a problem, not in the way you're thinking. It's they're, they're up, but it's not on the same growth curve and through oh, yeah. compounding interest and issues. That is, a, that is a lot of money. In terms of like a, an adverse cyber event, like let's make it even broader. I think globally, the notable uh, events that have brought down a company can be counted on two hands maybe even one so uh, so i got a question for you uh c9 said okta has denied that there was any actual data ip stolen i'd be mm-hmm. surprised now i might i have to look at their wording i don't think that they said that i think that they said yeah. there's no indications at this yeah. time or something right. like that just pr like said lawyers are involved yeah well, so he, let's here here's what i've seen of the evidence so far if you had some tool that allowed you to do like a session surf, like over the shoulder surf and do screen grab, that that's what we've got. 
So I don't have proof. I mean, and maybe, you know, prove me wrong, folks. But everything that I've seen so far, it's that they were surfing a session with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not to poo-poo what they accomplished. I mean, that's great. You that's got in, you, you saw that stuff. But in no way does that show that they had like access to the data, to the source code, to the ability to cut and generate tokens and credentials and stuff. So, you know, yeah. I don't know what they really had. But, but if you look at that phrasing saying no indication at this time, that is yep. a legal that is a legal answer, right? It, it, also, how many times have this come out and it's been like, oh, yeah, it's nothing, nothing, nothing bad happened here. Everything was good. We're just going to go ahead. It usually turn like, you know, usually turns to be a little bit something more, right? Yeah. Bradford uh, Liedel, I might be mispronouncing it, said Okta exec sold 3.7 million in stock last week. I mean, that's normal, right? It was a planned trade. It was planned. They planned it, it out. Planned trade. Two months ago, when they found out. And here's the exact quote. Uh, Flackfest said, um, the actual quote from this, no indication at this time. So, woo! Um, So, yeah, this this is starting to look more and more smoky and more and more fiery. Do Solowinds do the same thing? Like, I mean, are we in a time machine with a different company and a slightly different attack? Well, it just keeps repeating, right? All of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. Somebody mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter hit me up and they said, what are you going to do when BHIS gets compromised? And you can't, I'm going to, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that that doesn't happen. If it does. You're going to give them an iPad. We're going to give them an iPad. No, remember um, the hacked, hack.txt file story? Oh, oh my God, you're right. I forgot about that. Super happy fun time APT generation toolkit, Mick. Yeah. That's right. So we had this thing. It was super happy fun time APT generation toolkit. And it was compromised. And in there, I had him put a text file that said, to the hacker.txt, something like that, Mick. And it basically was this write-up. It said, congratulations, you got access to this file. I sincerely hope that you would re... It was no... It wasn't super sensitive, but it was just like this text file. And I said, reach out. And they reached out to Mick. And they were like, holy crap, John got me. Because uh, they thought that I had actually seen everything. Um, but yeah, super happy, hoop, super happy APT fun time generation toolkit was a tool you could upload any executable and it would encode a, a message in Russian, Korean, uh, Hebrew, Chinese. Uh, Chinese, depending on what you wanted your malware to look like. And we did this because we, uh, everybody was like, see, this is, a, this is created by the Israelis because it has Hebrew in it. It's like, come on, uh, that was crazy. But no, they got an iPad. It was a bug bounty program at that. Said thank you. But that depends on how you handle it, right? I, I think, you know, if we had a serious breach where customer data was on the webs, right? You have to get out in front, and that's like mix set. You have to get out in front. You have to own it, and, and that's the only way you can do it. The other thing is, if we're looking at Okta, if we're looking at Microsoft, we're looking at cloud services. This is something I always talk about. If we're running Microsoft, we got two-factor authentication enabled in absolutely everything, and somebody finds a bypass for that. The story is Microsoft two-factor authentication was compromised, not BHIS was compromised. We're another victim of that attack. And spinning it that way, I think, is incredibly important whenever you're talking about these things. Insider threats are a completely different thing. Hopefully, we don't have to deal with that as well. But get out in front early and often. I did this thing for Security Weekly years ago. Um, it was basically to the eventual hackers of Security Weekly. 
Um, and I wrote this letter to the hackers. And about three years later, um, one of the Security Weekly servers were compromised. And we did, a, we did a show walking through the IR on the compromise, and we literally used that letter and got out in front of it. And the blowback, there were some people that made fun and like, well, you guys suck. At the end of the day, the way it's coming, everyone's getting compromised at some level or another. That doesn't mean give up. Just means <laughs> does never never quit, never surrender. But yeah, you're you're fighting a, a you're fighting the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, the absolutely. So yeah, all of this, you know, I, I, we're kind of winding down. I, I'm going to go back to the same thing I say a lot: core fundamentals. Don't try to install specific patches. Have a patching program. Core fundamentals, don't rip out one MFA for another. Have MFA in conjunction with long and strong passphrases. That security is all about layers. It's always been about layers. Stick to those fundamentals. And I don't know, the Okta, the LastPass, all of the stuff moving into SaaS solutions scares the bejesus out of me. This is just one breach. But as you get older and you get more and more gray beards that show up, you're going to encounter more and more of these breaches. And I'm going to say there's going to be one that's going to be far worse than this, probably within the next couple of years, because that's an easy, that's an easy uh, prediction to make. All right. Anything else, Mick, Ralph, that you all want to add? Well, you know, one thing that I think that defenders should do is take heart. What you should do is learn from how attackers are getting into your infrastructure, whether it's an actual incursion or a pen test or maybe even a purple team, sit down and learn how the attacks actually work. Um, a lot of the defenses that we do are incredibly brittle and easily sidestep. And once you understand how an attack really works, you'll see that an attack chain requires a lot of different things to all line up. And if you nudge the attackers off their chosen path, it becomes a lot more brittle. Attacks are mm. surprisingly brittle. If you've never done pen testing, you will not appreciate how nerve-wracking and tedious and flat-out boring a lot of times pen testing can be. And so make sure that you turn everything into a sensor device. Somebody just asked about Microsoft and how we haven't oh, talked yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just want to say they were talking about the source code of Bing. Probably somebody at Bing is like, oh, my God, Bing is like trending as a search term <laughs> in Google. Oh, well, they're using Bing to find it. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, uh, that was not a trend that Microsoft, they're like, yay! Oh, popped up like on the, Google number one Bing t- the number one Bing term for people that use Bing is Google. And for probably a day, Bing was trending on Google, but not in a good way. <laughs> I, I don't know how much I care about Bing source code and Cortana source code. I, I am, I'm curious how that, how that in interweaves, right? Like where those connect, that's like mm-hmm. just, you know, my curiosity of how this kind of attack played out. I mean, that's going to be either some stuff we don't ever learn um, because nobody wants to tell us or some things that, um, you know, we don't never com- get the complete picture, right? I, I kind of yeah. wish we yeah. did. Um, I, I, I we do don't have, have a beef yet. with the reporting that's been done on this. So every article that I see says that Microsoft's alleged source code. Shouldn't it be like they're throwing shade at the source code? Shouldn't it be hackers allegedly steal the source code? But instead they're like, yeah, alleged source code. Bing. You know, you get to what is it, 35 gigs or 37 gigs of source code? <laughs> Just like wondering, like, like, is that faked? Do you think it's faked? Do you think that somebody sat down and just started writing out C 
Oh, I'm going to make it look like this is Bing. I, again, I don't know if this has ever happened, but I've never seen like a bunch of big news uh, outlets come and say there's a legend 35 gig file out there, and it was all just like A's in a file. Like I've never. I want it to be that. Just I, I want it to be that. Yes, you're right. I want it to be that, but yeah. you know, we we all kind or, of have you know, or just some like so college like like GitHub project. Like this is a search <laughs> engine that I wrote, and they go through and they rename it to like instead of the name of the search engine, like college search engine. It's like bing and then they release that let's let's get a little bit creative on these things i, wow. I did want to mention one other thing too about the detection trying to catch um the attack early in the face right and so the earlier you can get some kind of detections even if you've been compromised right like you're you're just catching that early in the attack is going to give you the upper hand to actually control the control the scenario right and so however you know you get those like you said sensors out there to catch that earlier in the attack um, just expecting that it's going to be successful. And like you said, it's a chain. So we need a lot more things to line up in place. And so time is the one thing you want to take away from the attacker. Right. Um, yeah. and that's something that they, well, uh, dude, Egypt said it. He said, you know, whenever you're an attacker breaking in, the defenders just have to make one mistake. Once you're in that environment, the tables turn, the mm -hmm. attacker just has to make one mistake to get caught. And like, like Mick said, everything should be a sensor point. You should have tripwires everywhere in your environment. Make it hard for the attack. All right, folks. I want to say thank you very much for coming and hanging out. Ralph, Mick, as always, you know, appreciate you guys coming. And with that, Ryan, take us out.